This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the Salesman Podcast, hosted by Will Barron, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Look, if you work in sales, want to learn how to sell, or just peek at the latest sales news, check out the Salesman Podcast, where host Will Barron helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win big business in effective and ethical ways. One of my favorite episodes lately, how to personalize your sales outreach at massive scale. Who doesn't want to do that? Listen to the Salesman Podcast wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Brent Weaver. He's the founder and CEO of You Gurus, a business training and education company in the digital agency space. And he also hosts one of the leading podcasts in that niche, The Digital Agency Show. He's the author of Get Rich in the Deep End, Commit to Your Niche, Own Your Market, and Audaciously Scale Your Agency. So Brent, welcome to the show. Awesome to be here, John. Thanks. So did I say niche right? What do you think? <laughs> you know, I'm a niche man myself. No, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, I, it's, it's, uh, it's maybe my Texas comes through, right? Well, you, it goes better with the riches or in the niches, right? Than, uh, than in the niche. It just doesn't rhyme at all, does it? So let's talk about that. However you uh, pronounce it, let's talk about that. Because that that is certainly common advice now, right? Narrow down to to a niche, get really good at serving that niche. I find a lot of people, particularly people that are starting out or trying to grow, they get really focused on thinking, oh, I have to pick dentists or whatever it is. And, you know, I have to only work with them. And then they find out six months later, they hate it. So, you know, how do you, are you all in on that? Obviously it's part of your title of your book, but are you all in on that? Or do you temper that in any way that, that would be more helpful, I think, uh, to particularly people getting started? Yeah. I, I mean, there's definitely pros and cons to to being a generalist versus a, a specialist, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. if we were thinking about analogies, I mean, I have a, a general practice doctor that I go see on a regular basis, and it's really easy to get an appointment. I can just kind of pop in there. He kind of knows a little bit about a lot of things. But, you know, when it comes to like getting heart surgery, I'm obviously not going to go to him. And I have a, a sneaking suspicion about which one is a member of the Better Country Club. Yeah. But, but, you know, I think that when it comes to agencies, if you don't, if you don't love the market or the type of business, I mean, I think it's, it's good to separate like the market from the client. I mean, if you yeah, work yeah. with 10 dentists and you realize like you just don't like seeing pictures of people's mouths, like right. that's totally cool. I'm on my 13th market working with digital agencies. So this idea that you're going to find the one, you know, the first time you go out there, I think is is probably not a good expectation. So I think people should be willing to, to try it. But the reality is if you do work with a, a specific market, it's a lot more repeatable. You can build processes. Yeah. You can find team members that understand what you're doing. You can create fixed offers. Yeah. There's a lot of upside to having a, a fixed market. Yeah, and I think something you said, there's an important distinction. I mean, what I always kind of bristle at is when people, I work with a lot of folks starting, you know, jumping out of corporate and wanting to start an agency. And they've been told you need to pick a niche. And so they they try to, but they don't have the experience yet to do that. Mm. And I think what you just yeah. said, you know, a lot of times you find what you like working with. And I actually, you know, I think you can find a narrow focus in types of like within a niche types of business or types of business owners or behaviors, you know, of businesses. Uh, and, and I think that's 
I think that's a key part of it, but there's no question. Once you find that, as you said, you know, you can, a Facebook ad campaign for, you know, somebody in Milwaukee is probably going to be just as good for somebody in Omaha. So, you know, so. And like, you know, I think it's good to also, you know, you kind of brought up the niche within a niche yeah, yeah. concept. So like one of my clients, he, he actually does focus on dentists. I don't have a lot of clients that focus on dentists, but he has 27 clients in the market, right? Yeah. They all pay him about three grand a month. And he gets most of his clients from one Facebook group that has 38,000 members. Now, I am i don't know what 27 over 38,000 is, but, you know, he has a thriving business with 27, like a tiny little like sliver of the market, right? Yeah. So I think ultimately what happens when people start to focus on a market is they do find themselves drilling down even further, either through a channel or a type of client, a range of clients. And I think if you are the type of person that likes variety, you can also look at a horizontal market, which would be... You know, if you were, let's say, an expert at Shopify stores, yeah. hey, cool, we're going to build websites for a lot of different Shopify stores, right? Could be jewelers, could be artists, could yeah. be, you know, clothing manufacturers, right? It doesn't have to just be a vertical. Yeah, I think I kind of like the variety as <laughs> part of it. <laughs> you get kind of bored after a while. So in the title also, you have scale your agency. I run into a lot of people that confuse growth and scale, you know, and a lot of, for a lot of people, when they talk about scale, what they really just mean is getting bigger, you know, having more clients. How do you define scale first off and, and does it differ from growth? Well, you know, that's a great question. So I think that, you know, you use that term bored. Yeah. earlier too, which I love, right? So so to me, scale is we're actually creating systems and processes that are repeatable and right. that we're growing the business by getting the owner out of the stuff that they're getting bored of, right? And, and I know a lot of agency owners that are in really successful growing businesses, but man, like I have a lot of gray hair, but like they're stressed out, they're overworked, yeah. they're involved in every meeting, they're involved yeah. in every client, right? Like they have growth, which is awesome, right? But they don't have anything that's really scalable, right? They're yeah. still like the wizard that's spinning all the plates. Yeah. And so I think within, whether it's it's choosing a market, vertical or horizontal, or a fixed offer, like you have to find that element in your business, that lowest common denominator, that atomic unit, for scale. And I don't think that's as necessary if you're just interested in growth. But if you're yeah. trying to create something really scalable and get yourself out, I think that you've got to find some common denominator. And I think most people, you know, you start getting 10 team members and, you know, 25 clients or something. I mean, if you don't have those systems or processes, I mean, it's just going to be growth will actually be a problem. Won't it? You know, I've talked to a lot of agencies. I've done a lot of field trips and, and, and site visits and hand on interviews. I mean, you know, we were at Effective UI, gosh, it, it, probably seven or eight years ago. And they had, you know, 120, 130 team members. They worked with corporations across a huge myriad of the Fortune 500 and Fortune 5000. They had a very diverse set of people that worked there. Their lowest common denominator, I guess, was kind of two things. One, it was around the UI, UX of, yeah. you know, these different businesses and that kind of problem solving. But the other was the billable hour. Like they were unapologetically focused on maximizing the billable hours that that business sold. You know, they weren't confused on their model. They knew what their model was. They knew generally how much clients needed to spend for them to be a client of their business. And so I think that, you know, they achieved insane growth, but like it was really complicated. They had to have a lot of really smart, a lot of really expensive salaries. And so while I saw that they, they got a lot of growth, I don't know if I would have looked at their business and said, wow, that's a really scalable system. I could see that growing to a thousand people, right? Yeah, like yeah. it was impressive, but like, I don't know if I would consider that to be scale. 
So there's, in the agency world, there's a lot of conversation around retainers versus project work. I mean, where do you fall on? I'm guessing, you know, if you're going to own your market, if you are going to, you know, brand and package your offerings, you know, you're probably going to be more towards the retainer. I mean, I, I think it depends what your goals are. I mean, there's some pros and cons, you know, you know, usually a retainer relationship ends when there's, you know, some unhappiness mm-hmm. <laughs> with the client and vendor yeah. relationship, right? Yeah, like like what the retainer's ending. This, right? <laughs> yeah. What am I getting again? Who is this person we're paying? Why are they billing your credit card every month? Right. And so I think that you can, you know, there are some pluses to a project where you've got this fixed life yeah. cycle yeah. and you can really create a choreographed experience for your clients in that space. What I would level it up to without even thinking about whether a retainer is best or whether uh, project best. I think there's different types of, of, of work that lend themselves to both. But I think as an agency, it's how do we create a killer offer? How do we make something that when we're sitting in front of a customer, it's like, it's so good. You know, it's like, it can't be refused. And so I think that should be, always be the goal, right? Whether it's, you know, a, a big $50,000, you know, pitch, you know, how can we remove risk for the client? How can we mitigate risks? How can we promise or show proof of results to where we're going to really blow them away and just make them so excited to move forward? And so I think once you figure out like what that offer is, and and I think that's one of the reasons why I love people that are focused on a vertical is because we get to really understand that customer mm-hmm. as, a, you know, as they relate to the entire market, we can craft an offer. We can understand what our churn is. We can understand what our refund rates are. We can understand what our success rate is, right? We can actually look at that stuff at scale and we can create better and better offers, you know? And so I think when you get to the point where you can make an offer where you say, you know, pay me 5k a month. And if you're not getting, you know, if you didn't get 10 clients in the next 90 days, I'm gonna give you 100% of your money back. You know, I mean, or in in one of my friends, he actually even will write a check for five grand. He says, I'll give you all your money back and I'll pay you $5,000 if I don't get this result. And I think if you're going to get to that point of being able to get create offers, like you need to know your customer like better than they know themselves. You need to know your processes and your results better than, you know, anybody else. And you need to be so confident to be able to offer something like that, where it's truly an offer that somebody can't refuse. So I always push people to focus more on their offer and and also build the model that's right for you. If you want peace of mind and you want that consistent cash flow, then, you know, it's probably better to be on a retainer kind of model. You know, sometimes people say that that projects are easier to sell the retainers. I, I don't know. Yeah, I tell you the model that I love is you sell a project that leads to a retainer, you know, because they it's a lower risk, (laughs) you know, it's a lower risk for them. They get to see the value, you know, they're bought in now, like they have a relationship and they're like, how can we keep working together? That's generally the model we take because it is, you know, somebody just meets you, you made them a pitch and you say, now it's going to be $5,000 a month. It's like, I don't know what I'm buying. You know, I don't have, I don't have an experience of it. I mean, yeah, you got proof, you know, you got other people you've helped, but that's to me, I think a lot of times people go for that long-term retainer too fast in a lot of ways, even if that's their model. Yeah. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. You know, the universe is ever expanding, but it's constantly adapting too. adding solar systems here and there, a sprinkle of stars and a black hole or two to keep things interesting. A HubSpot CRM platform adapts and changes to the needs of your business, so the sky is never the limit. HubSpot's reporting dashboard gives you a satellite view over your marketing, sales, and customer service performance, so you can get ahead of any issues before they happen. 
And automated marketing tools allow you to create consistent multi-channel campaigns for clear, concise communications and less mixed messages. You can even use email marketing tools to send, test, and optimize your emails for different devices and inboxes. Whether your business is Jupiter or Pluto-sized, a HubSpot CRM platform is easy to implement and ready to scale with you. Learn more about how a HubSpot CRM platform can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. So you have a framework in the book, five A's. You know, every good book has to have a framework. I will say when I was reading about the kind of the layout of your framework, I was very happy to see that you were telling people they actually needed to think about content differently, that it wasn't about more content. It was about content that was strategic and it wasn't just blog posts. So I, I guess maybe comment on kind of how you see the role of content and then maybe we can get into the five A's. Yeah. Well, I think that, Something that should be thought about with any content is distribution. And I look at, you know, if you are trying to get into a new market and you gave that example earlier of, you know, people leaving the corporate world and and not having the experience. And so uh, I think a mistake that a lot of people make is they, they start their business or they start their agency and they go, oh man, I need to do content, right? So they create a Facebook fan page or, you know, a business page and they create their website and they start to blog on their own site. And in the book, I kind of talk about this garage band effect, right? <laughs> it's like, imagine if the Beatles, like they're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to make it big. And night after night, they play in the garage, right? And they just like hoped people would like come and watch them. Now, obviously they were all good musicians and they had a plan, but they, you know, what made them big was they went and pitched themselves to like the local clubs, the local venues. And that's what differentiates them from like the hobbyist bands that just get get together on Friday nights and jam and, you know, smoke weed and drink beer together and have a good time, right? Which there's nothing wrong with that, right? They're probably having a really good time, but if they want to make it big, then going out and putting yourself in front of a judge and a jury is really important. It, it's so important to get that rejection And so when you're thinking about content for your agency, I think it's equally, if not more important to think about that distribution component, right? I've got an idea. I have something to say, and I need to go out there and find somebody who's willing to put my stuff on their platform. And I think every time you then get a blog post published, every time you show up and do a webinar on somebody else's platform, the amount of credibility, the amount of refinement, right? You have to show up a little differently when it's somebody else's you know, somebody else's stage, right? They're a filter, but they also have higher expectations. And so I think if you're going to approach content as a new agency, you know, it, and it's harder because you're not going to like, at first it's going to feel like you're not getting anything out there. You're like, oh man, wouldn't it just be easier if I could just tweet on my own account, right? So you're not going to get a lot of stuff out there, but what's going to happen is when you do, you're going to build audience like that. So within the first six months of launching you gurus, you know, we were a nobody and we had a list of over 10,000 people hundred percent organically because we went and got articles and content published on other existing platforms that have been around for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of being guests on podcasts that to me, that's one of the best, they solve so many issues on top of getting your word out there and getting somebody else to say you have something to say. It's great for SEO uh, just because, you know, I'm going to promote the heck out of this, of this episode and probably point back to you gurus and that'll be a nice link. <laughs> and, and now that I have a list, right, I can promote it too, right? Yeah, I mean, which, exactly. which that happens, right? That yeah. does happen. I mean, after a while you get to build up some assets and then you get to use those assets to create partnerships and to put, feature other people and to, you know, there, there is some stuff with that, but I, I always say like there's own media, 
and there's kind of media that you rent. And, and when, you, when you first start out, I think if you go into like the rent media space, it's going to help you build platform yeah. for yeah. yourself later. It's yeah. a really long road to yeah. build your own yeah. audience. Yeah. Uh, I've only been doing it for 30 years. So, so, so just like John, right? Okay, <laughs> we're just putting your 30 years in and you, you too can have a exactly. platform like duct tape marketing. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about you gurus. You do, you're doing, obviously you're doing consulting with agencies and helping them grow, but you also do events, pretty good size events. You have an academy there. So maybe just uh, obviously invite people to check it out, but also kind of give a little uh, 10,000 foot view of what you do at you gurus. Yeah, I appreciate that. So so we're a coaching training and community program for digital agencies to grow their business. We use that, you know, that market driven model that we kind of talked about with 5A framework and, you know, finding your market as kind of our baseline to help agencies scale. And we have a, a one year program. It's kind of a three year vision that people sign up for a year at a time. And I always tell people, you know, it took me like, it took me eight years to like, uncover all of the really big mistakes running an agency. And then it took me five years to really, you know, fix, accelerate and kind of grow a successful business through it. And so our vision from day one with you gurus is always to see how, how can we take that, you know, that 12 year grueling, you know, experience, right. And shorten it up into a much smaller learning cycle and also give you some friends and some right. peers to enjoy that journey with. I, I had no agency friends except for my business partner, which he was in the boat with me, right? We had no agency friends for the really the first eight to nine years we ran our business. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't regularly meet with, have lunch, collaborate with in any meaningful way, really any other agency owner for the first eight years of my business. And it was lonely and it was hard, it was stressful. Yeah. And uh, in entrepreneurship was a lot more fun when you have friends. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think there's no, you know, especially the world we work in today, you know, COVID aside, I mean, people, you know, don't have offices that they go and sit in, you know, with the 20, even if they have a team of 20 people, it can be kind of lonely. So, so having, just as you said, somebody else who can say, well, here's the mistakes I made, you, you know, look, maybe you can learn something from that, you know, just kind of shortens the uh, the curve for, for sure. And it's just you gurus.com, right? That's right. Awesome. That's right. All right, Brent, thanks so much for stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, and hopefully we'll run into each other one of these days out there on the road. Awesome, man. Thanks, John. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to share this show. Feel free to give us reviews. You know, we love those things. Also, did you know that we had created training, marketing training for your team? If you've got employees, if you've got a staff member that wants to learn a marketing system, how to install that marketing system in your business, check it out. It's called the Certified Marketing Manager Program from Duct Tape Marketing. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that tab that says training for your team. Mm -hmm.